I like worshiping the Lord with you guys. Did you know that? It's a really a privilege to be able to come and, and um, know that there's people that have practiced and guys that have opened up the doors and made sure that all the sound is done and the streaming's going out. And we're truly uh, blessed to have these uh, people that, that just serve behind the scenes without any acknowledgement. And it's truly a, a blessing to be a, a part of the church that's, that's humble, you know, a uh, church that really uh, loves the Lord. We're in Jeremiah chapter 30 tonight. Uh, we just finished 29 last week, and it was the perfect, you know, any, any of these upcoming chapters are actually perfect for communion, but just the way it ended uh, last week with communion, you can uh, watch that episode uh, online yourselves. But just to kind of get you up to where we are uh, now, uh, Jeremiah is the only one out of all these people that are predicting what will be happening in the future. And Jeremiah is, is warning the people the temple is going to be destroyed. The walls of Jerusalem are coming down. The Babylonian army is surrounding uh, the walls of uh, the last standing capital of the nation of Judah. Everything else has been destroyed Two times the Babylonians have come in and already taken away uh, captives and uh, precious items to Babylon itself. And then in verse, chap verse 1 of chapter 30, we read this. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, thus speaks the Lord God of Israel saying, write in a book for yourselves all the words that I have spoken to you. For behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will bring back from captivity my people, Israel and Judah, says the Lord. And I will cause them to return to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall possess it. Now these are the words that the Lord spoke concerning Israel and Judah. For thus says the Lord, we have heard the voice of trembling of fear and not of peace. Ask now and see whether a man is ever in labor with child. Or, or why do I see every man with his hands on his loins like a woman in labor? And all faces turn pale. Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. And it is time for Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. And so, Father, tonight as we approach these uh, amazing chapters in the middle of the book of Jeremiah, some of them that we've probably never even heard or read, and others that we'll see that um, we'll find out, oh, that's actually written here in the book of Jeremiah, and it'll just really blow us away how your word is just truly all-encompassing. Lord, I thank you so much for not only the understanding that you are there in the most dire of times, and just like in our lives today, you are there when we have to make those tough decisions, those, those hard choices in life, when the stresses of the world come on us, whether it's in our family or, or our um, community, our job, or or even at our church, Lord, I ask that you help us to know that you are right there in the midst of those troubles, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the hardest times of life, you are still there calling out to us. Help us to yearn, help us to yearn for you. 
Lord, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for these people that are uh, here physically tonight and those that are watching online. We do. We lift up to you our pastors, Lord. I, I thank you so much for their, their dedication to our church, for uh, Pastor Mike Ostheimer and Pastor Mike Butler and Pastor Mike Cosper, who are even now over there uh, helping with our, our kids, Pastor Mike Atkinson and Pastor Jason, Lord, that you would just bless them. Uh, Lord, strengthen them, encourage them throughout the week, Lord. I thank you so much for the privilege of being able to not only uh, teach your word, but the privilege of being able to um, uh, prepare and, and just the way that you uh, speak throughout the week and, and bring up, whether it's situations in my own life or, or in my friends' lives to, to bring out, Lord, I ask that you would just help us to see you speaking through your word clearly tonight. Let your spirit have free reign. We love you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. And so Jeremiah is repeating exactly what we were reading uh, last week, but he does it in a different way now. He uses this illustration <clears throat> of men in labor. And by the way, what would happen if, you know, men had to uh, bear children? Yeah, <laughs> the human race would become extinct. You know that, right? And so this illustration that we see here, it, I mean, and it's as old as, you know, time itself, but Jeremiah is bringing this out. Uh, all these men are going through these um, <clears throat> uh, birthing pains, knowing that they're about ready to be slaughtered by the Babylonian army outside of their walls. And despite the fact that Jeremiah himself hasn't done anything uh, wrong in terms of rebelling against God, he's a sinner just like anyone else, but, but he was obeying the word of God by staying in the midst of Jerusalem, in the midst of the siege, in the midst of a Babylonian encampment around uh, the last capital city of Judah itself. And despite the fact that he didn't do anything wrong, he's there with the people telling them to repent of their sins. He's going to have to go through the famine as well. He's going to have to go through the thirst as well. He's going to have to go through the lobbying of the, you know, the catapults and the ballistas and the various implements of war that are going to be slung against the walls of Jerusalem itself. And so he understands what they're going through. But the amazing thing is he makes this uh, prediction, this prophetic word that in 70 years, the people will return. And this is very important for the upcoming chapters because he's going to put his money where his mouth is. He's literally going to show the people with physical evidence that I know we're going to return in 70 uh, years. Unfortunately, the prophets and the priests, do they want the temple to be destroyed? No, that's their livelihood. That, that's where they get their, their income. And even Jeremiah doesn't want the temple destroyed too. But he knows what's going to happen. He's seen it through the prophetic word of God. In fact, it says there in verse 2, thus speaks the Lord God to, of Israel saying, write in a book for yourself all the words that I have spoken to you. For behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will bring back from captivity my people, Israel and Judah, says the Lord. And I will cause them to return to the land that I give to their fathers. 
and they shall uh, possess it. And there's an important phrase that is being used here, Israel and Judah. You see, from the time that King Solomon died, there had been two kingdoms within uh, the Israelite nation. There had been the northern kingdom of Israel. Remember after King Solomon, there was this split, this civil war takes place. Uh, Jeroboam, the son, uh, or excuse me, the, the person who was the king of the northern kingdom broke away from Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. Because not only did Rehoboam oppress the people, but the ten northern tribes that went to the northern kingdom of Israel didn't want to associate with the quote-unquote kingly tribe of Judah. And so Judah has the capital in Jerusalem, and then the northern ten tribes, Israel itself, has their capital in Samaria. And in 722 BC, Samaria is taken away by the Assyrians. The northern ten tribes are scattered. Now, of course, some of them were left in uh, Judah, amongst them some of these people. So the amazing fact is, not only is Judah coming back, not only is Benjamin coming back, but the ten northern tribes are coming back to the land as well. That there'll be, again, a, a reunification. There will no longer be two nations living in the Israelite community, there will now be a united 12 tribes together. And you see that if you read the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. The other thing that's interesting to point out is he's writing a book. And you remember when we first started Jeremiah, Jeremiah is the only one of all the prophets who wrote two books in the Bible. He wrote Jeremiah and then the book after it, Lamentations as well. And these books that are being written, this letter that we saw in chapter 29 that was sent to the captives in Babylon, read by Daniel himself in chapter 9 of Daniel. This is very important to not only Jeremiah, but also to the prophecies of Daniel as well. And of course, we'll get to that when we get to the book of Daniel. But then he uses this illustration. <clears throat> Uh, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed to have a wife. You know, we have three amazing sons. Uh, and, and I remember my wife's first pregnancy with our oldest son, Nathan, you know. And, and she didn't have any, you know, morning sickness or anything like that, you know. But she did have, you know, um, of course, uncomfortableness. And, and we weren't here in America when, when, or when Nathan was born. We actually lived in the Philippines at that time. And so, you know, having to go to a place where um, you don't quite know what it's going to be like. We didn't have any transportation whatsoever. We didn't have any car or anything like that. And, and so just to get transportation back and forth to the hospital itself was a trial in itself. You, in fact, you know, Emily actually took her nursing degree about an hour from where we were living. And she, that was her alma mater uh, up in the northern part of the Philippines. And so when she started contracting, we had to ride on her brother's um, little trike uh, motorcycle with a sidecar. 
And so I'm on the back of this motorcycle. Emily's in the sidecar, and we're going an hour drive while she's in labor to the hospital. Can you imagine that? And then she's in, we, it just happens to fall on a Sunday. And, and so, you know, there's not a lot of people there. They don't do an x-ray on her, and she's in labor for literally almost 20 hours until they decide that she needs a C-section. And so just all these complications that happen in, you know, not, not just a, a foreign country, but just in labor itself. What women have to go through to bear children. And men are clueless, by the way, about all the, you know, things that go on with the changes in the body. These men are experiencing these uh, <clears throat> pregnancies just from being in this uh, war. What, what, what are they grabbing, by the way? <clears throat> and, and again, this is the, the G version. So why do I see every man with his hands on his loins like a woman in labor? What are they doing? They're grabbing their privates. They're, they're in immense pain from all the stress that is going on around them. And Jeremiah, you can see the, you know, the sarcasm, the tongue-in-cheek that he's, he's doing. This, you know, this joke that is you know, literally coming off his lips, written some you know, 2,500 years ago, and all their faces turned pale. <clears throat> Where literally the blood drains out of their faces. This is how he describes it in verse 7. Last for that day is great, so that none is like it in this time of Jacob's trouble, for he shall be saved out of it. Despite the fact that God is disciplining it, us, and thank God that he does discipline his children, he's going to bring them back 70 years uh, later. In verse 8, it continues on, therefore it shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from your neck and will burst your bonds. Foreigners shall no more enslave them, but they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up uh, for them. Again, prophetically looking forward to uh, the Messiah himself coming from uh, the line of Judah. Now, if you remember from the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, it's no longer going to be a king on the throne. They're going to only have governors. From, from the time that Zedekiah dies until the time of, you know, the you know, messianic kingdom, Jesus Christ reigning on this earth, they are not going to have a king anymore. They're going to have governors. They're going to have foreign powers rule over them, but they will not have a physical king sitting on uh, the throne. It's going to be uh, the Messiah who is going to be raised up from the line of David. Verse 10, therefore, do not fear, O my servant Jacob, says the Lord, nor be dismayed, O Israel, for behold, I will save you from afar and your seed from the land of their captivity. Jacob shall return, have rest and be quiet, and no one shall make him afraid. Isn't that what we all long for? Rest. Peace and quiet. Isn't that what we all want? 
especially in a chaotic world, especially when so many voices are crying for our uh, time. It's nice to have that uh, rest, that peace, and that quiet. But then this amazing verse, verse 11. For I am with you, says the Lord, to save you. Though I make a full end of all nations where I have scattered you, yet I will not make a complete end of you. But I will correct you in justice and will not let you all go altogether unpunished. Despite the fact that God loves his people immensely, how does he show that love to the people during this time? Through his correcting hand. And do many of us need to be corrected? Do many of us need to be disciplined? Many times that's the only way we listen to God. But thank God he takes the time uh, to do that. In fact, as it says here in verse 12, and it it continues on here, it it describes it in this way. It describes sin in in such a way that um, goes even beyond medical terms. You see, what happens when we are corrected by the Lord, he brings us back from something that is incurable, uh, something that is destructive, something that causes death uh, to us. And in his love for us, he's bringing us back, as it says in verse 12, for thus says the Lord, your affliction is incurable, your wound is severe, there is no one to plead your cause that you may be bound up. You have no healing medicines. All your lovers have forgotten you. They do not seek you. For I have wounded you with the wound of an enemy, with the chastisement of a cruel one, for the multitude of your iniquities, because your sin have increased. Why do you cry out about your affliction? Your sorrow is incurable because of the multitude of your iniquities, because your sins have increased. I have done these things to you. You see, unlike physical ailments where we can put a Band-Aid on it, or or we can wrap it up, or, or we can have surgery, or whatever the treatment is. You see, sin is something that only God can cure. And thank God for the blood of Jesus Christ. That not only uh, covers our sins, but takes away our sins as well. That defeats sin and uh, death. You see, this is what sin does to a person, not just a person, but even to a nation as well. It is incurable and creates bondage without the intervention of God. Jeremiah continues on with these um, very detailed descriptions. Therefore, all those who devour you shall be devoured, and all your adversaries, every one of them shall go into captivity. Those who plunder you shall become plunder, and all who prey upon you I will make prey. For I will restore health to you and heal you of your wounds, says the Lord, because they called you an outcast, saying, This is Zion, no one uh, seeks her. And if you remember from when we studied the book of uh, Isaiah, uh, the northern kingdom of Israel was taken away captive by the Assyrians. And then the Assyrians were destroyed 
literally annihilated by the Babylonians. The Babylonians are going to be taken over by the Persians, the Medio Persian Empire. The Persians, they're going to be taken over by the Greeks. And then the Greeks are going to be taken over by the Romans. And then the Romans are just going to go, you know, implode from the inside. And all these nations that, you know, were used by God to discipline the people of Israel. All these nations that we see here are going to be themselves destroyed. Out of every single one of those nations, there's only one that's left. And it's Israel itself. It's Israel that came through every single one of those captivities. Even to today. Verse 18, thus says the Lord, behold, I will bring back captivity of Jacob's tents and have mercy on his dwelling places. The city shall be built upon its own mound and the palace shall remain according to its own uh, plan. It's amazing if you go to the nation of Israel today. There are what are called tells or, or uh, mounds, uh, places where a, a city from, you know, some 4,000 years ago, 5,000 years ago was built and then it was destroyed. And then upon those remains, another city was dwelt or built upon it. And then that city was destroyed and then another city. And, and so sometimes you'll have these tells, these uh, mounds, these places where uh, cities and communities were just built one right on top of another because the foundations were already there. The building materials were already there. They just built upon them. Jericho is a perfect example. Jerusalem, as we see here, is one of those examples. Or even today, you can go into the underground of Jerusalem and see the old cities. Because the city was built up on top uh, of each other. Just as it says here in these uh, verses, built upon one another. Verse 19, then out of them shall proceed fountain thanksgiving and the voice of those who make merry. I will multiply them and they shall not diminish. I will also glorify them and they shall not be small. Their children also shall be as before and their congregation shall be established before me. And I will punish all who oppress them. Their nobles shall be from among them and their governors shall come from their midst. Then I will cause him to draw near, and he shall approach me. For who is this who pledged his heart uh, to approach me, says uh, the Lord. You see what's going to happen? No longer will they have to submit to foreign countries who tell them who rules over them. They get to choose their own rulers. In fact, if you read uh, Ezekiel chapters 40 to 48, and we'll see this later on too. The millennial kingdom, a thousand years of peace here on earth. The temple is going to be rebuilt four times bigger than it was during the time of King Solomon. And they will have their own uh, government, their own uh, leaders. You see, this is so beyond the minds of the Jews at this time because their king, King Zedekiah, he's just a puppet. He's, he's just one of these, you know... Uh, kings that had to submit to Babylonian authority. And they had no autonomy of their own. But then verse 22, and this is what it always comes down to. You shall be my people. And I will be your God. 
Isn't that an amazing statement? And, and even though this was written, you know, 2,500 years ago, is it is just as relevant today? Oh, yeah. It's just as relevant for us today as it was when it was written. It's easy to lose sight of that when we read not only the Old Testament, but the, the Bible as a whole. But the relevance of the Word of God is just as true today as it was when it was written. Thank God for that. It's the timelessness of the Word of God. It's the Holy Spirit using the words of, of history to speak to us today. It ends like this in verse 23 and 24. Behold, the whirlwind of the Lord goes forth with fury, a continuing whirlwind. It will fall violently on the head of the wicked. The fierce anger of the Lord will not return until he has done it, until he has performed the intents of his heart. In the latter days, you will consider this. Have you ever had a time in your life where you didn't quite understand what was going on? You knew it was, you know, the will of God, the plan of God, the, you know, design of God, if you will. But you didn't know how it all fit until you got older and then you look back and with 2020 vision, you know, and saw, oh, that's how it fit in. You see, this is exactly what's going to happen to the nation of Israel. They don't know why they're being taken captive. They don't know why it's going to be for 70 years. They don't know why or, or how it's all going to take place. They don't know why, you know, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are taken away first. And then Ezekiel and those guys by the river Kibar, they're taken away second. Why the temple's going to be destroyed. They, they don't understand all the pieces until they come back. And then you read the books of Ezra and Nehemiah and see how God had it all fitted perfectly together. To bring the people back, not only to a restored land, but to a place that God was preserving for them. And where their hearts no longer rebelled, but longed, even yearned to worship God again. Because for 70 years, they didn't have a temple. They didn't have an altar. They didn't have a place to worship God. They didn't have a place to go to, to cry out to God himself. And so when they come back to the land, the first thing they build is that temple. The first thing to desire to do is to worship God with all their hearts. Isn't it just like us? Maybe you're going through a dry time right now. I don't know. Maybe you're having to make hard choices right now. I don't know. But what I do know is God's going to be in the midst of the worst times of your life. God's going to be there in the direst times of your life. And just like at the end of Lamentations, where is God now? He's still on the throne. He's still there for you. Chapter 31, verse 1, it goes like this. At the same time, says the Lord, I will be the God of all the families of Israel and they shall be my people. Not, not just the nation of Judah, not just the, the southern kingdom that exists at this time. All the tribes will come together. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. Israel, when I went to give him rest, the Lord has appeared of old to me saying, yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. 
it's hard to discipline. Especially whether it's, you know, a, an employer with an employee or a father with a child or, or a friend with another friend. It, it's hard. I, I don't know how our, our pastors do it. But there, there's something about the perfection of God knowing not only our, our thoughts, our intents, uh, the, you know, the, the rebellion that's in us. As we're going to see later the backsliding in our own heart. The, the hard heart and the stiff neck as is described to the Israelite. He knows how to do it in such a way that he shows his grace and mercy even in the midst of discipline. Even in the midst of chastening. Because he knows that what we do in sin destroys us. It hurts us. And so God will unite not only the tribe of Judah, but all the tribes. And then in the most dire of times, God is still there for you. And just as we'll see this when we, we go to the book of Lamentations in chapter uh, 4 there. Is God's loving kindness ever extinguished? Is God's loving kindness ever quenched? Is God's loving kindness ever run out? No. It's always there. And thank God he has enough patience for all of us. Because if it was up to a person, guess what would happen? We would have given up on us a long time ago, right? Thank God he is so patient with us, merciful and gracious. Verse 4, again, I will build you and you shall be rebuilt, O virgin of Israel. You shall again be adorned with your tambourines. You shall go forth in the dances of those who rejoice. You shall yet plant vines in the mountains of, what's that word right there? What's the capital of the northern kingdom? Samaria. Uh, but by the way, this is where Jesus goes. You remember the woman at the well? What city was that? Samaria. It was one of the cities of Samaria. The illustration that Jesus uses of in the parable, the good what? Samaritan, right? These are the people that come back to the land. Now, unfortunately, a lot of them were half-breeds. But they had come back to the land and Jesus Christ himself, he goes specifically to those people. You read the book of, you know, Acts, you read the end of Matthew, read the beginning of Acts. He says, you know, go ye therefore into all the world, Jerusalem, Samaria, even to the ends of the earth, right? And then you read the book of Acts there where Philip goes to Samaria and preaches the word of God to the Samaritans. Exactly what Jesus told them to do. This is what we're talking about right here. The planter shall plant and eat them as ordinary food. For there shall be a day when the watchman will cry on Mount Ephraim. Arise and let us go to Zion to the Lord our God. And again, this is a very important reference. Extremely important. Especially if you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 48, where Joseph is given a double portion. You will never see the tribe of Joseph except for in one portion of uh, one reference in, in the book of Revelation. But you'll never see in the Old Testament the tribe of Joseph. Even though he was the favorite son, 
It's always going to be his two sons, his sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. And in Genesis chapter 48, you know, if you remember Israel, he, he crosses his hands, right? He puts his right hand on the youngest son. He puts his left hand on the oldest son, right? And he blesses the sons of Joseph. And he adopts them as his children. And they become the tribes of Israel. That they, along with Reuben and Gad and Simeon and Judah and Levi and Benjamin, become part of the tribe. And it's from Ephraim, the one who had the right hand placed on his head. It's from that son, that tribe, that every single one of the kings of the north came from. All the kings that were in Samaria came from the line of Ephraim, and God's going to bring them back to Mount Ephraim. Again, united under one banner itself. Verse 7, for thus says the Lord, sing with gladness for Jacob and shout among the chiefs of the nations. Proclaim, give praise and say, O Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. Behold, I will bring them from the north country and gather them from the ends of the earth. Among them, the blind and the lame, the women with children and the one who labors with child together. A great throng shall return there. They shall come with weeping and with supplications. I will lead them. I will cause them to walk by the rivers of water in a straight way in which they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel and Ephraim is my firstborn. All those that were scattered by the Assyrian empire, those that remain will return. God's going to bring them back. Not, not just the ones that were taken in the Babylonian, but even those that were taken away 200 years earlier, 720 B.C., from the Assyrian Empire as well. God's going to bring back. He still has his eye on the remnant of Israel itself. Even the descendants of Ephraim. And of course, if you want to know more about that, you can read Genesis 48. By just, you know, just read 48, 49, or even, you know, just that whole section there. It's absolutely amazing how God blesses each and every single one of the sons of Israel. How he, how he blesses Reuben, and how he re blesses Simeon and Levi, and then he blesses Judah himself. And then you learn the genealogy. Why does Jesus come from the line of Judah? Why does, you know, Joseph get the double portion instead of Reuben or Judah or one of those other uh, sons? It's absolutely amazing just to kind of uh, read through that. And you can read that on your own, uh, in your own time. Uh, verse 10, hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the isles afar off, and say, he who scattered Israel will gather him, and keep him as a shepherd does his flock. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob and ransomed him from the hand of the, the one stronger than he. And therefore they shall come and sing on the height of Zion, streaming in the goodness of the Lord with wheat and new wine and oil from the young of the flock and the herd, their souls shall be like well-watered garden and they shall sorrow no more uh, at all. Now, I know a lot of you, I, I've even heard people you know, say, I'm looking forward to the, you know, whatever's happening on Saturday night, right? The daylight savings time where, where you know, the clocks are going to go, you know, forward, right? 
spring forward, right? Why? Why do they want to do that? Why do they want an extra hour of sunlight? So they can work in their gardens, right? So they can enjoy outside an hour longer. So they can come on Wednesday nights. You know, I know some of you have even told me that. But, but the understanding is, what does the garden need? Well, water, but the sun, right? And God's going to provide not just the water here, but also the sun to bring them back. So that when they come back 70 years from this time, the land had rested. It wasn't depleted of all of its minerals. It's restored. And now they will have new gardens, new flocks, new herds. Verse 13, then shall the virgin restore in the dance and the young man and the old together. While we turn their mourning to joy and will comfort them and make them rejoice rather than uh, a sorrow. It's interesting to see the generations represented here. The generations of Israelites that, you know, come back from a foreign land rejoicing together. I will satiate the soul of the priest with abundance and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted by her children because they are no more. Now, you've probably heard this verse before. You just don't know where you heard it from. In fact, every single year we hear this verse. And this is part of the Christmas story. This is part of the story when all the two-year-old boys are killed. This is the, the verse that predicts that that would happen. Where, where literally weeping and lamenting are going to happen all throughout the nation of Israel during the time of the Messiah. In fact, in Matthew chapter 2, verses 17 through 18, and this is, of course, when, when uh, the wise men come to uh, look for Jesus Christ himself. It says in Matthew chapter 2, verse 17, Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, this little verse right in the middle of Jeremiah predicting what would happen in the future. A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. And if you've ever had to comfort a mother for their children, you understand this verse. Because they can be inconsolable. Something, again, that men can't fully understand. Because we didn't bear that child. But God does, and thank God for that. In fact, it's quoted twice in the Bible. But even in the fact of the weeping, even in the midst of the weeping, even in the horror of the lamentation, verse 16 is said, Thus says the Lord, refrain your voice from weeping. And your eyes from tears. For your work shall be rewarded, says the Lord. They shall come back from the land of the enemy. There is hope in your future, says the Lord. That your children shall come back to their own border. What is it saying here? When you feel that you're most hopeless. 
God will bring hope again. When you feel like you're at your bottom, the worst part of your life, can God still give you hope? He's the only one, by the way. Thank God that he does. Verse 18, I have surely heard Ephraim bemoaning himself. You have chastised me, and I was chastised like an untrained bull. Restore me, and I will return, for you are the Lord my God. Surely after my turning, I repented. After I was instructed, I struck myself on the thigh. I was ashamed, yes, even humiliated, because I bore the reproach of my youth. Is Ephraim my dear son? Is he a pleasant child? For though I spoke against him, I earnestly remember him. Therefore, my heart yearns for him. I will surely have mercy on him, says the Lord. Do you know that not only can we yearn for God, but God yearns for us as well. Does he long to walk with you again? Does he long to have fellowship with you again? Because what does sin do to us and our relationship with God? It separates us. And just like when Adam and Eve in the garden, Garden of Eden, that perfect place, did God come to them and ask, why won't you come back to me? And they said, we're ashamed. We've sinned. It was that that prevented them from coming to God and meet with him. And it's the same thing with us today. God still yearns for his people to return to uh, the promised land. Thank God for that. Set up signposts, make landmarks, set your heart toward the highway, the way in which you went. Turn back, O virgin of Israel. Turn back to these, your cities. How long will you gad about, O backsliding daughter? For the Lord has created a new thing in the earth. A woman shall encompass a man. Before I get to the hard parts here. These words that we very seldom use that I have to look up. We, we, we've seen this word before, by the way, in Jeremiah. This, this word is only used, by the way, in Jeremiah, this word gad. But this word backsliding, okay? And, and we talked about it when we were in chapter 2 and 3. But this word backsliding is used more times in the book of Jeremiah than any other book in the Bible. In fact, the word backsliding is used 17 times in the Bible, and 13 of those times are in Jeremiah. The, this theme that the nation of Israel has backslid from the Lord. They, they've purposely walked backward from God. Oh, they, they kept the traditions. They, they love the pomp and the circumstance. But they've backslidden from God. This word gad here literally means to vacillate or, or to go back and forth. It's the person that makes a, you know, a rut as they're going back and forth over and over and over again with indecision. They can't make up their mind. And this is what they're acting like. But then it says, and, and referring back to the beginning of, you know, chapter 30 there. A woman will encompass a man. A woman will cling 
uh, to a man, where, where the bride, Israel itself, is going to cling to the groom, just as God calls us to cling to Jesus. The church is called to cling uh, to Jesus Christ, or as in the Old Testament, the Israelites were called to cling to their God. But the illustration continues here, and we see it in verse 23 through uh, 28 more played out here. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, they shall again use this speech in the land of Judah and in its cities. When I bring back their captivity, the Lord bless you, O home of justice and mountain of holiness. And there shall dwell in Judah itself and in all its cities together, farmers and those going out with flocks, for I have satiated the weary soul, and I have replenished every sorrowful soul. Do you need to be filled today? Do you need something that's uh, fulfilling in your life? Do you need something that replenishes your soul? Where do we find that? Only in God himself. And then Jeremiah, he writes this, and this is another amazing thing. After this, I awoke and looked around, and my sleep was sweet to me. That reference again to rest. And if you've ever seen commercials or, you know, any, any whether it's online or, or TV or whatever it is, you know, billions and billions and billions of dollars are pumped into the market for pills that help people to sleep or apps that help people to sleep or things that help you to sleep. Why? Because people just long for a good night's sleep. Where can we get that? And by the way, he offers it for free. It comes from God himself, from his peace that passes all understanding. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of man and the seed of the beast, both of the houses, the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom, all together. And it shall come to pass that as I watched over them to pluck up, to break down, to throw down, to destroy, to afflict, so I will watch over them to build and to plant, says the Lord. In those days, they shall no more say, the father has eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. This was a, a parable, a riddle of the day, an illustration that if the, the father ate something bitter or something that put their teeth on edge, it was the children that suffered the consequences of it where the sins are passed down to the next generation, if you will. In fact, in Ezekiel chapter 18, it says the exact same thing. The word of the Lord came to me again saying, what do you mean when you use this proverb concerning the land of Israel saying, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. What they're saying is that the consequences of the fathers don't happen to them, it happens to their children. Their children are paying the consequences of their sin. Kind of like, you know, taxes today or debt or whatever it is. You just pass it on to the next uh, generation. 
But in God's economy, it doesn't work like that. In fact, if you read the rest of 18, it's a beautiful chapter, by the way, how God um, chastises just those generations that sin, not the following generations. Verse 30, though, but every one shall die in his own iniquity. Every man who eats the sour grape, his teeth will be set on edge. When we sin, and we understand this, the consequences of our sin affects us. But in many cases, they also affect those around us too. But what about the eternal consequences? Who takes on the full penalty for the eternal consequences of your sin and mine. It's Jesus Christ there on the cross, paying for our sin, for our iniquity, for the consequences of our eternal actions. He became sin for us who knew no sin. He had never sinned in his whole life. So that we could become the righteousness of God in him. The privilege of knowing that he took on my sin and gave us his righteousness. It's a privilege to know that. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Judah and with the house or Israel and the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant, which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord, but this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. In fact, this is the only time in the whole Old Testament that this word, this phrase, new covenant is used. In the New Testament, we're going to see it a whole bunch of times. But in the Old Testament, we only see it here in the book of Jeremiah. And you're here tonight to hear it. You see, this word covenant also means testimony or testament. What do we divide our Bible into? You know it. Old Testament and New Testament or the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. In Jeremiah, he's reminding the people, I'm going to make a new covenant with you. And every time we take communion, what is that new covenant cut in? It's the blood of Jesus Christ. It's knowing that Jesus Christ's blood is faithful. He signs the covenant in his blood. But not only that, verse 34, no more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. You see, the consequences of the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, was that they had to bear their sin. That, that's why they're being put into bondage. That's why they're taken away into captivity. But the understanding is, in the New Covenant, who bears the bondage? Who paid for our iniquity? 
who bore our sins on a tree. We'll end it right here. I want to just read something to you. It's the announcement of the new covenant by the prophet Jeremiah. And it would have been very alarming to the godly Israelites. After all, the old covenant had come from the very hand of God and had been accompanied by miracles and wonders. You remember all the way back to Abraham himself, where Abraham was asleep while God walked through those split animals, cutting the covenants. But the new covenant would also be accompanied by the miracle of changed hearts and lives. The very Spirit of God would enter people's lives in order to assure their adherence to the covenant. Thank God for the Holy Spirit, by the way. No longer would intermediaries like priests or prophets have to stand between the people and God. This is why you can pray today. You don't have to go to a temple. You don't even have to go to church. You can pray to God right by your bed tonight. You can pray in your car. You can pray wherever. Why? Because you have the Holy Spirit. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have the Holy Spirit and you can talk to God. We don't need a priest one time a year to go into the presence of the Holy of Holies and, and, you know, hopefully not get struck down and die. We can go to the presence of God ourselves. It's the spirit that would teach the people the knowledge of God, a knowledge that would evidence by faith, obedience, and devotion to the Lord. Jesus fulfilled Jeremiah's prediction of the coming of a new covenant through his work on the cross. And next week we'll pick it up in in chapter uh, 31, verse 35 there. But by the way, you, just to kind of, you know, prepare you for next week, read, read the book of Lamentation. Read, read the middle of Lamentation for next week. There's only five chapters, you know, but, but chapter three, especially right in the middle there, uh, read that chapter. And it goes along with this, this next part in, as, as both the books of Jeremiah and Lamentation uh, do. So just as application tonight, can can I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Is that a guarantee? Yes. Not not because of some covenant that was, you know, cut by some ancestor of mine, but because it's Jesus Christ's personal death for each and every single one of us. And again, just like the call was last week when we took communion, the same is true today. Can you at any time acknowledge that I am a sinner? I need Jesus Christ in my life. At any time, can we do that? And will Jesus Christ hear you? Yes. He's promised uh, to as well. So thank you for coming. Uh, God bless you. Dear Father, we thank you so much for the privilege of your word and, and the privilege of knowing that you have thought ahead when many times our lives can be so unplanned, so chaotic, where our plans fall apart, our, our, our wills, uh, just nothing happens right. It seems like in our lives, uh, we, we, we try to do things and then they just um, crumble before the weight of the world or the weight of problems, the weight of trials in our lives. And we, we many times don't understand. But thank God that we have a, a Savior who 
gives us an eternal plan, something that we can be sure of, something that gives us hope and peace. And as even we read in this chapter, a, a good night's sleep, hope for tomorrow, a peace that passes all understanding. Lord, and how you reunite all these tribes that were rebellious and backslidden, and hard-hearted, stiff-necked, how you do that same for us. And whether it's a, a Wednesday night or Monday night or a Sunday when you bring us together, Lord, I, I ask that you would help us to long yearn for you. And yearn for our brothers and sisters in Christ where we can come together and, and use our gifts to edify one another, encourage one another, be there for one another. Lord, I thank you so much for these, the, the people that are the examples to me of what it's like to go through hard times and yet still be faithful. Lord, I thank you so much for your word, and I ask that you would help us to, to desire to read it for ourselves and know that as was promised tonight, that your Holy Spirit will give us knowledge. Your Holy Spirit will give us wisdom to be able to understand your word. We don't have to wait for a Wednesday or a Sunday or a Monday. We can know that, that we have access to the word of God. And, and we can just pray, Lord, teach me your word today. And you'll be faithful to do it. Lord, I thank you so much for the privilege of of meeting with my friends and family here tonight. Bless them. Use us for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. Thank you for coming tonight. God bless you.